Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Okay. All right. I think we're yeah. live. It's happening. <laughs> what a what a fun way to start the show. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. The intro was breaking my internet completely. So, <laughs> like, we're well, just gonna I, skip that. Well, I mean, there's there's so much energy from off the floor on the board that it could literally just fry any laptop, desktop. It doesn't matter. Every time Paul Korea <laughs> put the puck past uh, <laughs> Broder passporter it was just completely frying my internet and uh that was it that was that it wasn't happening so but we we made it we fixed it we're live i think everybody's still here i, I <laughs> what a broken show but hey you know what yeah. we made it it not, started not post game yeah but we're we're still technically post game um ducks <laughs> we're, we're covering the duck series against the wild which uh, we won't spend too much time on because it was not a not a fun one. You know, like they weren't bad losses. That's the thing. You know, they were close games, one goal games, two uh, one loss and a three two loss today. They came close in in both of them, uh, but they were boring games to say the least, right? Like they were typical games of what we were used to seeing from the Ducks early on in the season where we kind of made that shift to. I think you brought it up in our in our kind of group chat earlier today that the Ducks should just go tire fire and just play a full full on offense for a while we saw that where they were just kind of you know foregoing defense and scoring a bunch of goals and uh now we're back to the the tight nitty-gritty games with john gibson out of the lineup 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've kind of uh, delegated myself to that being that fan. That's just, all right, it's not going to be a very entertaining game, but I'm not going to invest myself emotionally in most of these games. So if I'm not all that emotionally invested in the outcome, I'd at least like to watch a good hockey game. So if the Ducks can actually just do something, just something where they just throw the kitchen sink at the other goalie and just go for broke because trying to play a defensive style of game, either with Ryan Miller or Gibson at this point of the season, doesn't seem to really be working. I mean, it limits their chances, but we can't seem to score more than three or four goals at a time anyway. So why not just go full force and just see where the chips fall? And then hopefully our goalies just bail us out because they've been doing that in one nothing games, and that's about the only time we can win these uh, one-goal games. We've uh, won seven of them. And I think three of them have been one nothing shutouts. So about half of them have been one nothing shutouts. So I'm just over it. Just, <laughs> just like, all right, I'm ready, ready for the next round. Let's just uh, find something new to do. You know, it's a remedy for not scoring goals. Dressing only 11 forwards. Didn't you know? That's mm. <laughs> That seems to be the fix. And yeah. you know what? I, I, to, to be fair, I know why they're doing it. Uh, Josh Manson is coming back from injury. The only times the Ducks have played 11 forward and 7D this year is while they're trying to ease Josh Manson back into the lineup. My only question and concern with that is if you have to ease him back in the lineup, which means... Why put him in the lineup? Yeah, why put him in the lineup? If you're going to dress down to 11 forwards in a team that's 30th in goals per game, you're hampering yourself already to ease him back in the lineup. You're not competitive. You've won nine games this year keep him out of the lineup until he's 100% ready to go. And then all of a sudden, tonight, the Ducks are hit with a few defensemen going on COVID protocol lists, so they are forced. I don't know if he was ready. I don't know if those guys didn't go on protocol, if they would have played seven defensemen again. We don't know. But he's kind of forced to come in and play uh, in, in a six-defenseman role tonight because Andy Walensky was the other guy who played, and the goals were also playing tonight. So there was really only so many guys that yeah. uh, you could have up, plus still having having enough guys on the taxi squad, right? So it was kind of a situation where he was forced to be uh, a member of a six-man crew tonight. But uh, yeah. well, you know, I, I, thank God they sheltered him so much in that first game. He was actually good enough this game to get a primary assist on Derek Grant's goal. I mean, otherwise he's so frail. You have to put seven players, seven defensemen out there just to make sure he doesn't hurt himself or, you know, over, you know, get overworked. I just, I don't like that mentality of, uh, oh, we're easing him in, so we need to have this one other guy. It's like, this dude knows how to play, and either he's ready or he's not. Don't sit there and put out, you know, take out a forward because we might need someone to back up this guy because he may not be all the way ready. Well, if he's not all the way ready, don't put him out there. It's not like all of a sudden he's going to come out there and uh, you put a seven defenseman out there, and all of a sudden we become this defensive juggernaut that just shuts down the other team, and all we need is another one-goal win. And so it's just, I don't like it. It didn't make any sense to me. And, uh, you know, even this game, he, I mean, he got an assist. He was he was running around. He was doing fine. He was doing his thing. So what's the big difference between last game and this game? Yeah, the, the only thing I really even want to talk about on that last game is uh, not only the seven defensemen, 11 forwards, is the fact that Comtois 
was scratched and Danton Heinen scratched again, which isn't surprising this year. And we get to see probably the weirdest line we've seen in the last couple of years, which was Derek Grant on the left wing of Ryan Getzlaff and then Nick DeLore on the right wing. And that was the third line for the Ducks because Silverberg and Steele were essentially spare forwards. That's kind of the way they operated in that game. It was almost like the Ducks were rolling three lines with two spare fours and then they were just throwing a bunch of different combinations out i think if you go back and watch that game there was probably you know anywhere from nine to to 10 to 11 different line combinations that we saw throughout the night um it was just yeah it was just a weird a weird setup and and it showed i mean the ducks played a good game defensively they you know they didn't allow too many opportunities but the wild aren't really a dynamic offensive team to begin with you know they've had their spurts this year where they've they've blown up for a few goals but their power play has been a struggle and has been league worst all year somehow their power play with guys like Kirill Kaprizov and Kevin Fiala is worse than the Ducks power play is but uh you know they're they're good at winning one goal games just as much as the Ducks are and they end up scraping by in that one John Gibson sat out again because he's uh, listed as day-to-day now with a lower body injury I believe he's been put on the IR since and um, Sam Steele drew back into that game after four games out with a scratch. And then we get the the COVID protocol stuff. So Heinen, Hutton, Larson, and Stolars all kind of out for this game tonight because they're added to the COVID-19 protocol list. And we see a, a big kind of shift in a lot of the lines. Comtois comes back in, plays with Lindstrom and Raquel. Getzlaff plays with Grant and Jones this time. Steele plays with Delory and Silverberg. And then the only line that <laughs> survived, for good reason, has been Trevor Zegris, Adam Henrique, and, and Troy Terry. And sure. it's weird to say that Henrique is kind of a, a passenger on that line. But if if we've seen, you know, high-level chemistry from any players this year, I think it's, you know, the, the easiest one to say right now has been Trevor Zegris and Troy Terry. They just seem to click ever since they were put together, which is great to see. I mean, Troy Terry has just taken some massive steps over the last couple of games. And, and it's not all from being put with Trevor Zegris, but you can tell there's some chemistry there and some understanding of how they both want to play the game. And uh, they look great every time they're on the ice. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one positive you can pretty much take away from this, but you know, it, it, and even I would say Henrique has kind of found a home on that line. Like, I mean, it's, it's just kind of worked out between the three of them how they're they're at least going to be relied upon moving forward uh, to try and produce some sort of offense. Uh, I mean, they they sat uh, Comtois the first game of the series. Uh, he, he finally got in and actually got a goal uh, today. But I mean, they're they're starved for goals or offense or chances or anyone to just finish plays. And it seems like at least those guys have some sort of chemistry. So it's good. We got we got a line because. Once you start throwing Delorier and Getzloff on a line, you're literally just crapping in your hand, throwing it at the wall and seeing what sticks, and then go like, okay, we'll go with that. Thank <laughs> God we have Jamie Drysdale, though, in the lineup, because this, these yeah. defense pairings would have been pretty scary without him in the lineup mm-hmm. because it was Fowler and Hackenpah, which we've seen uh, for most of the year. And I've been really disappointed with Hack and Paul recently. Just yeah, that pairing, that pairing together has been really like, I think when they were first put together, I'm, I put out an article and it was like, I think after the first week or two, they were together and they actually looked good. They were nailed they had good it. Numbers. They had I was good numbers really impressed with him, but yeah. Yeah. It's... Cause he, he got forced into the lineup due to some injuries and kind of took that position and ran with it. And, and then now I think a lot of 
their play and, and the Ducks play has caught up to them. And they've, they've now, with Lindholm out of the lineup, have kind of taken on the responsibility of being the top pairing for the Ducks. And I think that's kind of beyond their, their capabilities. Yeah. yeah, especially Yanni Hawken. But it's not fair for a guy who is really a sixth or seventh defenseman to be said, okay, you're our number two guy right now. Yeah. You're going to be playing you know, anywhere from 18 to 20 minutes a night, which I think is, you know, anywhere, you know, three to four minutes more than, than Hakuba should be playing, especially when you think, you know, he's on the penalty kill and he's playing a shutdown role and they're putting him out there in key faceoffs. And you know, he's had a few own goals go into the back of the net lately and some you know, blown aside. <laughs> I think he's scored more goals against us than for us. Yeah. All yeah, the sticks or body parts or whatever. <laughs> and, and to, like, you know, they're not, they're not his fault, but his play as a whole um, it, it hasn't looked great. Uh, Andy Walensky drew in for this game to play with uh, Kevin Shattenkirk, and that pairing struggled. And then Jamie Drysdale got a new assignment. He's been with Ben Hutton since getting his NHL debut, and obviously with Hutton out on the COVID protocol list, it was Drysdale with Manson tonight. And again, Jamie Drysdale just looks great every time he plays. And it's really hard, even without the points there, to justify why he should get sent back right now. And I think the the team is recognizing that as much as we want to criticize their usage of Trevor Zegras on key situations and the fact that, you know, they bench him every now and then in tough situations in the game, you know, the last a minute and a half, two minutes of the game, when the ducks had the net pulled, Jamie Drysdale was out there with Kevin Shattenkirk on a six on five. And, and that kind of shows you the confidence they have on this kid to generate plays offensively. Trevor Zegras wasn't out there. I believe no, it was gets not at all. I know, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, Ra- Raquel and even uh, uh, Max Jones was out there for part of it, and 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 that I don't know that that kind of bothers me a little bit because if you're if you're the Ducks and you're looking for that offensive spark, is there anybody other than I would maybe say Raquel or Getzloff that you think could could really spark an offensive goal like just something that just no one's expecting going to happen and we need that goal and this guy's gonna do it. I, I would I would throw Zegras up there as a top three in my pick to put out there. The fact they didn't do it early on and then there was an ice and they came back and they still didn't put him on threw me off. But they kept Drysdale out there the whole time. Now I get Drysdale from a defensive standpoint can probably create a little bit of offense um a misdirection, but I don't know. I mean what's your opinion? Because I, I really thought like Drysdale being out there at some point you might have seen Zegras, but for the last two and a half minutes you didn't see him. He wasn't out there. Yeah, it, it's an interesting. It it is surprising because you you would think at some point he would get out, get out there. And in the game prior, the the big talking point at the end of the game is the Ducks had a power play to end that game, and Derek Grant found himself out there, uh, and Trevor Zegras didn't, and Jamie Drysdale also didn't find himself out there on that uh, that at game ending power play either. So there's something to be said there, but. It, it is uh, a bit interesting, the contrast of how they've handled the tough situations for these players in the key situations. It seems like Drysdale... They'll let Drysdale do it, but they won't let Zegras do it. And yeah. I don't know why. And, and you know, maybe some of it is, like, the fact that, you know, they have Yanni Hockenpah and Ben Hutton and Jacob Larson as defensemen on this team who, you know, despite Drysdale's age and his inexperience in the NHL... They, you just can't knock his skill and his ability over guys like that. Whereas with with Trevor Zegers, you've got guys who've been there and done that, 
and been there and done that with the Ducks. You know, we've got Silverberg and Jones and Terry and Steele and Henrique and Getzlaff and, you know, the list goes on there. Comtois and, and Raquel and guys that you can kind of put in front of him in those situations. It's not so much that I agree with that, but I think that's <laughs> the difference there is you have those that many guys in front of Trevor Zegers. And clearly Derek Grant is, is a guy that Dallas Aikens loves. Uh, and is is trusting in those situations despite not producing. But that's what you have in front of Trevor Zegers, whereas with Jamie Drysdale, you know, right now it's Fowler, Shattenkirk, and him. So he's going to find some time. Uh, you know, technically, out the power a top, top, te- technically a top three defenseman offensively for yeah. the Ducks. Yeah, and, and, you know, there have been times where he's been used in key situations over Kevin Shattenkirk because Kevin Shattenkirk hasn't produced, I think, at the level they've they've wanted from him. And Shattenkirk was supposed to be that guy for the Ducks uh-huh. this year, and it, it's it's unbelievable. Powerful, yeah, yeah that, that Drysdale has been able to come in and, and look as comfortable as he has been. Like, that's the thing for me. Is we Like, the offense was going to be there. Um, but, you know, as an 18-year-old to step in on a bad team – and really not make any mistakes through your first first four games. You know the the skating ability is on display, the quick decision making, the smart plays that he makes. Every, you know game in and game out, his his ability to transition the puck up the ice, like everything has kind of been on full display. And I don't think I've really, you know, looked at Drysdale when he's on the ice and been like, wow, that was a that was a you know a rookie yeah, player right there. That was a rookie right. mistake. Yeah. yeah, you can you like you can't tell he's out of place like. Yeah. He, he just he at least looks in place and that's enough for, you know, an 18, 19 year old kid to, to go in and be able to do that. Did the Ducks even get a power play this game? Uh, I don't think so. they did. No, I don't. Uh, think they they could have totally used a Tim Peel did. <laughs> I knew <laughs> that, that was going to come. I, up I, I feel yeah. like that that might have just helped that team out just a wee bit if we could have gotten a Tim Peel power play. Power plays are, are kind of must-see uh, TV for, for Ducks fans right now just because Drysdale and Zegers make them actually fun to watch, even if you're not scoring. Just the best, the, the <laughs> And the best part was the fact that it was like a national broadcast and they go like, oh, Minnesota is so bad on the power play. Oh, they scored a power play goal. It was like, oh, good. It's not just John Aller <laughs> saying it. It's it's whoever says it. It's just whoever needs a first goal. It was Suter the first game. I think that was his first goal of the season. Um, and then it's like, oh, this power play is ranked worse than the league. They just go, oh, look, they scored. Yeah. All right, cool. And both they just need the Ducks. That's all they need. Two of their three goals were identical plays, a shot from Suter and a tip from from Spurgeon, Spurgeon. defenseman to defenseman. It is only a second and third goal of the season, so, you know, it wasn't the first, so we lucked out there, but... Yeah, and that. Oh, and we we have to talk about if we're gonna talk about any goal, we have to talk about the the Nico Sturm goal and the uh, the Ryan Miller bobble. Now I'm not gonna get on Ryan Miller here and and criticize him too much because this happens. What? You're not like every other Ducks fan I've ever heard on online. It's, uh, uh, it's uh, he's the reason we're losing. Uh, Gibson's the reason we're losing. Uh, Colton, he blows. You know, like because <laughs> I don't understand that. it. Yeah, despite that goal, like you can't blame the first two on Miller. Their their tips really in a, the prime scoring area, right in the slot. Uh, and the second one has like a nasty just drop off to it and bounces mm-hmm. off the ice and past him. There's not he much doesn't, he, he doesn't even react until it's past him. He's like he's like I don't see it, but everyone's looking at my way, so I'm just gonna drop. So he just drops. He literally never saw that puck. He just went in. He's just like I dropped. Did I get it? And then he's just seeing Minnesota guys cheer. He goes, Fuck, I missed it. But that 
that third one blows. That one sucks. And it hurts. And it hurts from a goalie perspective. It just sucks. And he, he almost had it. He put his glove down, and it just hit off the tip, and it bounced. And it just happened to be right to where the other guy was just running towards. And you're just you're screwed. Because at that point, you know, he's, he's flat out angel. Just, I got this. And he doesn't. And it just it blows. And he was pissed. <laughs> and he's shaking his head. And every goalie's been there. Whether it's uh, first time you ever played goalie, you, you played a couple of seasons, you played beer league, you played minor league, you played semi-professional, you played professional, you played top league, you played the all-star game. That happens. It happens at some point and it blows. <laughs> it's just not fun. And it sucks that it's the game winner on top of it, uh, especially for Ryan Miller. It's just, it's just one of those things. He thought he had it. Hit the tip of the glove, jumps right to the other guy, and you're just screwed. Yeah, it, it's just it's one of those plays, uh, like we said, right? It's it's just it's tough. It never goes for the Ducks; it always goes against the Ducks. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and you know whether that was Miller or Dostal who backed up tonight or Gibson, uh, you know it happens. It happens to everybody. So and, and like yeah, the the real kind of big thing about that is it was a game winning goal and that's what sucks about it is at yeah. the end of the day the ducks actually played a decent game in this one and and you know they were full value for walking away with two points potentially uh, and it kind of comes down to uh to a play like that but we we got to get to the trade here that that happened tonight cuz we finally got um the details of what the ducks are giving up here I'll do my own horn a little bit because when Pat and I were talking uh, before the show tonight, I speculated that it could be Antoine Morand who was going back to the Tampa Bay Lightning in return. They love their their French Canadians over uh, in Tampa. And uh, I originally walked back on that because Antoine Morand is in action for the San Diego Goals tonight. But, uh, you know, in, in hockey's a business, it doesn't matter. So the Ducks end up getting Alexander Volkov, 23-year-old Russian winger, uh, from the Tampa Lightning in exchange for Antoine Morand and a conditional 2023 seventh rounder. I'm like, what? I, I, like that that part of it. Like, I want to know what the condition is on that. Like a 2023 seventh rounder. It's a couple years out, and it's a seventh round pick. I, I, like, I don't even know why you're throwing it in at that point. But uh, you know, it, it's it's an interesting deal here because Antoine Morand is firmly a San Diego Goals player. Yeah, he's waiver exempt. He's been playing in San Diego all year. He really hasn't made any progress since he was a second-round pick uh, for the Ducks. I mean, you look at the fact that Maxim Comtois came after him in that draft, and look what he's doing in the NHL right now, and and, and Morand hasn't really uh, gotten things going at the AHL level. Um, so I'm not really upset too much with the return there. Uh, there was speculation earlier that it could be a mid-round pick, and it was just loosely said it was a prospect for the Ducks. At the end of the day, you know, Volkov is is going to play for the Ducks in the NHL. Uh, he's not waiver exempt unless they want to bury him in San Diego. He's been playing 19 games with the Lightning this year. He seems like a guy that the Ducks are at least going to give a shot. And and it kind of seems to be what Murray was looking for. When we saw kind of all the reports lately is he was looking for, you know, a player around 23, 24, 25 that needed kind of a change of scenery that could come in and make a difference uh, potentially with the team. So this is a... You know, it's prototypical of a Bob Murray deal. I think you can get. I have no idea who he is. <laughs> I think most people didn't, right? Like, <laughs> like, like you're saying all these things. He's gonna, he's gonna play. He's gonna prototypical uh, Bob Murray move. Literally, if you ask me if he's a defenseman or a forward, I couldn't tell you. 
<laughs> I like I just I don't know. So is he a forward or is he a defenseman? <laughs> so he's a, a winger. He's been playing in the AHL for the last couple of seasons and has uh, made his breakthrough. What is he the- good at? Is he good at scoring? Is he good at setting up? What's what's his <laughs> MO? Um, if you ask most people right now, he's not really good at anything. I think that's the <laughs> the, 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 the big All right, thing. Then that is a Bob Murray. Play. Yeah. All right, All right. I agree with it there. And, and okay. it's not it's not that he's bad. He's just not. You know, he's, he's, not, he's an average not, player. He's not blowing you away. So yeah, like, yeah. If, if he ever shows player. up on the Ducks roster, he might at best break the third third line at an extreme best. Yeah. Now is he? you know, potentially an upgrade on some of the, the fourth liners that they have. Is he an upgrade on Derek Grant? Potentially. I mean, it all depends. You have to also kind of think that uh, he's buried down in a very, very deep Tampa Bay lineup where potentially, like, he could come here, form a second-round pick, and get some some chances to, to play in, in the top six, play, you know, 15, 16, 17 minutes a night. And who knows at that point, right? There was at some point Stevie Y drafted him in the second round and saw some promise there. Second round draft pick? He was a second round pick. Yeah. He was a, an originally a second round pick. So, you know, there was a, at some point somebody saw something in him uh, to draft him uh, that high. Now, you know, I'll be full disclosure here. This trade happened, uh, you know, less than an hour ago. So I haven't done my full due diligence to, to kind of look into all the details on, on Volkov and kind of what his role was in Tampa and what's what's went wrong there. But so it sounds like ultra minor league uh, trade and Bob Murray's trying to look like he's doing something. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. And, and you know, some people were kind of sitting here saying this could be, you know, the domino effect here where, where guys start getting moved. Because if Volkov is coming in and taking an NHL roster spot, if this is an, a, you know, an AHL trade where, you know, Moran comes out and Volkov goes to San Diego, even though he's not waiver exempt, you just keep him there all year. That could possibly be what this deal is. And it doesn't affect the Ducks whatsoever. But uh, if he if he comes on to the roster, you've not used like somebody has to make way, right? Because it's not like you sent a roster player back to Tampa Bay. You've been scratching Danton Heinen. You had yes, you had, you know, a few players go onto the COVID protocol list, but they'll come back off soon enough. And you know, the only other guys that will line up forward wise that are, are kind of long term injuries and Carter Brownie's done for the season and Sonny Milano's done for the foreseeable future. Um, so Volkov coming in, that means some guys have to, to kind of sit out for a while here. And we know we've heard the rumors that Danton Heinen's on the trade block, that Ricard Raquel's on the trade block, Troy Terry's on the trade block, and we're what, you know, seventeen 18 days away from the trade deadline right now. And we've talked about the the kind of quarantine um, deadline for a lot of these moves and, and it could push it up a little bit here that this could be the domino effect here where Volkov coming in means somebody's going out and then we start to see a lot more trades happen no no <laughs> no nah, just this feels like Bob Murray's just like all right well, we'll, <laughs> make, we'll make this move because we had a lot of guys go on a protocol or we just need to fill a spot or you know someone might be a little bit more I, I literally have no idea why this trades even happening but be interested to see what that conditional seventh round pick is <laughs> whatever it is yeah yeah and honestly it means that <laughs> really means nothing you know yeah you can find players in the seventh round the ducks find out, found under a cash in the second round but you know when when this deal got announced and, and the only thing we heard was it was volkov coming back to the ducks 
it was as long as it's not, you know, a fourth or a fifth round pick or a prospect who you just drafted is still fairly young, then it, it's a, it, it's, a it's not a win. It's not a win, but it, it's a, it's a move that, you know, sure you can make it to see what this guy could do. There's never, I never have an issue with taking a guy who's, you know, 22, 23 was originally a high draft pick. Uh, is still kind of adjusting potentially to the North American game. There, there's potential there that maybe you can unearth something, not a, you know, a gem like a franchise player, but a guy who can actually be an impactful young player on your roster. So, there, you know, it, it is a good move from the Ducks in that sense where you're getting a, you know, 23-year-old roster player was a former second-round pick in, in 2017. The, the, one of the best drafting teams in the league saw some promise in him and he just isn't getting the those types of opportunities in the nhl with the best one of the best teams in the league right now and you you think he'll come over to anaheim he'll be given opportunities to play up in the lineup and there's and you're not giving up something that's gonna really hurt you down the road like antoine moran he was a, a second round pick for the ducks it's essentially one failed second round pick for another but the difference with volkov is he's a little bit further along than antoine moran is right now and I think the Lightning feel comfortable in, in some of the players that they've drafted in the past that they can kind of shape Morand potentially into an NHL player down the road. So it's not an awful deal. I think it's one that makes sense for both teams, but it's not the one that we're waiting for, right? It's not the, yeah. the rebuild signaling deal or the deal that brings in a first-round pick or a top young prospect. It's just one of those moves in a long line of one of those moves, right, by Bob Murray. Well, here's my theory, is that the guy we got is Russian, and Bob Murray hates Russians. So I feel like Bob Murray got him, and he's going to do the Cave of Wonders, where he gets that guy and says, you will never see the light of day, and then buries him. And then he'll never play again in the NHL, and Bob Murray will go off and do something else. Literally, I think this is nothing. Nothing Shane, is going to happen Shane from this. put in the chat that said, I'll give you this nobody for that nobody. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> uh, he was obviously not worthy. I have no idea. I mean, they're going to trade two second-round guys that are both uh, way underproducing, and, and Bob Murray is going to bring on a Russian that's all of a sudden going to like crack the lineup? Hell no. That is just there. To, I have no idea why. I'm yeah, lost. <laughs> uh, Volkov is a restricted free agent at the end of this season. Uh, the underlying numbers say that he's a better finisher than he's given credit for. Has three goals and two assists for five points in 19 games with the Lightning oh, this year. Five whole points in 19 games. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Like, if the Ducks are looking for finishers, uh, goal scores at any level, right? It's again, I keep coming back to it's not the worst trade to bring in a depth player who can score where but we've got not going to crack the lineup, but he could, right? There's but he potential. Won't. He could. <laughs> yeah. If, if a million people get, you know, uh, you know if, if the whole team gets injured or, you know, or is sick or something like that, then yeah, he might crack the third line and then maybe he gets a chance at that awesome finishing skill. That's got him. What, what was it? Three goals in 19 games. Yeah. Three goals. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I just, Sorry. Call me pessimistic. I just don't see him really cracking the lineup and being no. impactful. So no, no, I, I definitely don't. You know, the the odds are stacked against him to be an impactful player uh, on this roster. But when you think of what you gave up for the potential to get an NHL quality player, it's not a lot. You know, Miranda, as I think Dave put in the chat here, Miranda Volkov were taken 
both in 2017. Volkov went 48th overall. Morand went 60th overall. So essentially, you're just swapping two. I don't want to say failed, but yeah, failed second round picks for each other uh, in hopes that one of them will excel better in your system versus the other. Uh, so we'll we'll see, you know, how this pans out. Uh, Volkov might be in the lineup Friday against the St. Louis Blues, and we'll get to kind of get our first look on him and make our our own opinions there. Because as I as I said, you know, a couple minutes ago, this trade happened less than an hour ago. I haven't watched Volkov at all this year. I like many well, no, people. Just have. Get, give us an exact estimation of exactly how many goals <laughs> he's going to score for the Ducks, and if you're wrong, we will berate you mercilessly. If he doesn't get a hat trick in his debut on Friday, it's a it's a failed, yeah, failed deal. Pretty much, like Sadie Milano was a, a bigger uh, <laughs> plus than he was. Yeah, I, I mean we'll we'll see. It, it's one of those deals again. It doesn't move the needle. The Ducks make these types of deals pretty much every year. The only reason I think it it's so you know at, at kind of the top of mind right now is this is the first deal the Ducks have made all year uh, amid kind of rumors that they're going to make big deals. So it, it just it gets the blood flowing a little bit that you're hoping some of these big deals come to fruition here. And, and that kind of brings us to our next topic where we talk about some of these trades here. So uh, Pierre, I was going to say Pierre LeBron. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I was getting him and Elliot Friedman mixed up. But yeah, Pierre LeBron put out an article where he talked to Bob Murray Got some more quotes on kind of what Bob Murray is is planning on doing this year. None of it is really new information. It's not anything we haven't heard before. Uh, basically, Murray saying that he's you know looking to get some younger players. He likes what he's seen from some of the young guys. So you can kind of speculate that that's Troy Terry and Maxime Comtois and Max Jones, and and uh, he's liked what he's seen from them. And that you know trading a few veterans between now and puck drop next season uh, is something that is likely going to happen and something that he's trying to do. And that ties in with the the rumors that we've heard that, you know, he's listened to offers on Ricard Raquel. He tried to to move Adam Henrique and is still trying to, he's looking, you know, he listened to offers, if any, on, on Jakob Silverberg. And the list kind of goes on there in terms of uh, the several players that, that he's willing to move. Um, and basically he kind of sums everything up with it. It's just quiet right now. Yeah, and that's what we've kind of heard is the Ducks are the only or at least the most active team of everybody in the, in, in the NHL in terms of looking for trades. But nobody's really working, uh, you know, working to to give up a bunch to make those trades right now because of, you know, the pandemic and the flat cap and the expansion draft this offseason. There's so many working parts that go into making a deal this year, just like it was when Vegas came into the league that it's so hard to kind of push these deals over the line and try and get the price you want for, for, you know, whether it be Ricard Raquel or, or Adam Henrique or whoever. Yeah. And also in that, you know, article too is, uh, you know, they're, you know, this is the odd thing where it's like most of the time GMs are looking for hockey trades versus rentals. And like this year round, they're looking for rentals and the ducks don't really have a lot of rentals. They have a lot of good yeah, guys. Ben and <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. There's not good ones. Like all of them have multiple years. Some of them are on good contracts. So that actually makes them like a Raquel makes them more, uh, you know, uh, appeasing to maybe try and make a move there. But these guys haven't produced in the last season. They're not producing this season. 
And, you know, GMs get a little wary of like, well, what's going to happen? You know, is this guy waiver you know, exempt or am I going to have to protect him come the expansion draft? Everyone's just kind of holding tight. And especially, you know, if they've got to go to a Canadian team, there's a two week quarantine where you, you can make that trade. And you won't see that guy play for you for two weeks. So it's like, why well, make that trade now? Let's maybe wait, see how this all plays out. So the decks are kind of in a crappy position as a seller because there's not a whole lot of buyers. Everyone's just a little hesitant, uh, especially this time around. But, you know, you you kind of hope the Ducks can find some sort of dance partner. And then I think if they're, you know, showing that they can go with the uh, Tampa Bay stuff, maybe somewhere in there there's another trade someone goes like all right well they seem to be the only one willing to make things move around and we'll see what we can get but the ducks are kind of screwed the the funnier part i don't want to say funny but the odd part to me is i don't think bob murray really believes he's going to be the gm after this year but he's acting like he is and i don't know if that's just a professional thing or common courtesy like hey going to play this out like i'm playing next season but i mean does anyone really think he's going to be gm i mean i think he's going to be gm for the rest of the year just to get through the the craziness that's about to happen yeah but does anyone really think and that'd be my question about do you really think you're going to be here at the start of next season because i don't think you are yeah, or at least not in the general manager position. I mean, he'll get yeah, that, that nice or, cushy promotion yeah, uh, to consultant. Uh, vice president of hockey yeah. operations, which is essentially <laughs> just a title at that point. But yeah, it, it's such a it's such a unique year and kind of a, a shitty year to be a seller, right? And, yeah. and it, as active as a seller as the Ducks are, are presumably being reported that they are. Um, when you think of, yeah, you know, it's a pandemic, so it's already kind of tough in a shortened season and you've got a flat cap where it didn't increase. So teams that were already up against the cap are way up against the cap this year and, and trying to add anybody in. And then the expansion draft is this, that whole separate wrinkle where any team that gets Ricard Raquel right now is going to be a team that would likely have to protect him or want to protect him, right? You're, you're yeah. bringing him in as a guy that you want for this year and next year if you're trading a lot of assets for him. And that's what the Ducks would want in terms of value is saying, hey, you're getting this guy not only for this year, but next year at a nice cap hit. That team that ends up bringing him in has to make sure they have enough room to protect him and not lose another forward that they want to keep hold of. And for the very competitive teams in this league, that's hard to be able to make that happen and say, Ricardo Raquel is going to jump in as uh, you know the seventh or you know, sixth or seventh forward that we want to protect, and we're okay with that because we're not going to lose somebody else that's going to be valuable to our roster. That takes potential, a lot of potential suitors off the table there, where maybe in, in a regular year, you've got eight or nine, maybe ten teams interested in Ricard Raquel, like very interested in, in actively pursuing him, whereas this year maybe that number goes down to three, four, five. And that seems to be, when we look at the reported teams interested in him, seems to be the case. There's really four teams kind of aggressively pursuing Ricard Raquel. Toronto's one of them. The Islanders are reportedly another. Uh, Philadelphia has joined that discussion. So, you know, there there are teams that are near the top of their division, have a little bit of wiggle room to work with, will be able to protect him in the expansion draft and not lose another player. 
but when you're only working with kind of a small handful of teams there, it's it's a little bit harder to kind of get what you want. And the price reportedly is fairly high in Ricard Raquel and credit to Bob Murray for not coming down on that. But you're getting down to the wire here in terms of being able to, you know, move him for the for the price you want. And, uh, you know, how how long are teams going to stick around, especially a team like teams like Toronto who have to deal with the the quarantine situation? How long are they going to wait uh, before you know they move on to another target, and then all of a sudden you've got one less team interest in in Ricard Raquel. Yeah, and and on top of that is like most of the teams too, like they've got to have a good prospect pool for the Ducks to even kind of be interested in moving because I don't think you're gonna get a ton of draft picks. You'll probably get you know a decent a decent draft pick, but you also want a decent prospect. And how many of those teams at the upper echelon are going to really have that depth to give to the Ducks to make them that much better in the upcoming season? Because the Ducks are kind of at that point where they're going to just like they're going to trade a Raquel to get somebody who's going to be good in two to three years to move in with the, the new core, I guess, or the new the new wave of ducks. So it's like, there's not too many, like if you start looking at Philly and their depth chart and everything like that, it's like a lot of them don't necessarily fit what the ducks are maybe looking for. So once again, it becomes, there's a little bit less for the ducks to be happy about being sellers. And then the other season, you know, you might get more draft picks or you might get more prospects, but now everyone's got to be worried about, well, if I get him and I'm giving all that stuff up, Am I going to just lose this guy? Yeah, it's a, he should be a hockey play, uh, you know, a hockey trade. But because they have to protect him, now it becomes like, well, it's, he's either going to be a rental for the expansion team or he's going to be, you know, someone I've got to invest in and make sure I'm moving out somebody else who I don't care that much about. So, Yeah, and, and one of the comments from that uh, LeBron article uh, that Murray was saying, that he can't just move guys for all draft picks. He's yeah. got to start getting some younger prospects, which I, you know, for once I actually agree with. 100%. Um, now, it all depends on, on what he means there because we've seen comments saying that he's looking for guys in the 24 to 27 range. And for me, that takes you Not out of prospect. the. Yeah, that takes you out of the younger prospect range and more into a roster player range. And if you're moving Ricard Raquel for a player in that 24 to 7, 27 range, depending on who it is, you're almost, again, trading a Ricard Raquel for a Ricard Raquel. Because usually a player who is at, you know, around 24 to 27, kind of, we already know what they're going to be and who they are as a player. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you, Ricard, I don't think Ricard Raquel is getting you a better player than he is unless you're adding to that deal. Right. So that, that's kind of the thing for me. I think, I think, you know, if he's looking at, you know, we talk about Philly, a Cam York type player, uh, where you look at some of their top prospects there, if you're, you're, you're the Islanders and, you know, I doubt you're getting Bellows or, or Wallstrom from them because they're both playing this year. But if you could pry away one of their top prospects, not in the NHL right now. And same with Toronto. If you look at Robertson or Mirov, I think that's, the path you have to go because outside of getting another first round pick, you know, a, a second round pick this year and next year for the ducks isn't as valuable as maybe taking, you know, a 21, 22, 23 year old prospect and, and trying to get them into the lineup as soon as you can. You know, a, a 2023 second round pick does nothing for this team because you got to wait a couple of years for that pick to even happen. And then as a second round pick, you're likely, unless it's, you know, a, a 
freak situation. You're likely waiting another two to three years for that guy to develop and get anywhere close to the NHL. Like, look at the development path of talking about Antoine Morand and Alexander Volkov and Maxim Comtois how long it took them uh, to get to the NHL. You look at recent second-round picks and how long it's going to take Sam Colangelo and other guys to get to the NHL. The Ducks aren't in a position to start adding you know, second and third round picks in, in some of these deals, if it means sacrificing those additional picks to get a little bit better prospect. You know, first round picks are, I think, the only exception there because you are kind of a bit closer to getting, you know, guys who are maybe only one or two years away from the NHL. But I think Bob Murray knows that, you know, the most valuable pick the Ducks are going to have is their own first round pick. You're going to get an exceptional talent at the top end of that draft. And that's what they need. And then if you can supplement that by trading Ricard Raquel or Adam Henrique or Hampus Lindholm, whoever it is, for some for a guy really who's good, like maybe about two or three years ahead of your first yeah. round draft pick so that when they're there, everything works out. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, you, no one wins a Stanley Cup and having – 26 or under year olds. I mean, you're going to have to have a veteran leadership in there. And I don't like using the word leadership, but a veteran presence that can also produce. You're going to need those, those, you know, a little bit older guys where you got like your gets lofts. And then you've got your, your mid range guys between 30 and 26. And then you're going to have your young guys that are 25 to 22. And then you're going to have your rookies. that are going to be a little bit, you know, 21 and under. I mean, there's going to be a mix of those guys. So for everyone to just kind of go like, oh, we need to get rid of Raquel, get rid of Getzloff, get rid of Gibson, and get rid of Henrik. We need, we need all new, fresh, young guys. Everyone just come in because it's a young man's thing. It's like it, it never works that way. You're going to have to have those guys in there. So if we're getting rid of a Raquel, it's got to be for someone. It's It can't be for multiple draft picks. And then all we're doing is just stacking draft picks. And eventually those draft yeah. picks will all be – 23 and then we got a bunch of 23 year olds and go like all right go win it's not even this that it's it's just the how long it takes for that for those guys to get to a point where they're ready to make the nhl roster and the uncertainty of that happening i think the only way you can say you would ever want just draft pick upon draft pick upon draft pick is at the beginning of your rebuild that's what you're looking for at the beginning of your rebuild when you're looking to acquire as many pieces and as many you know darts to throw at the dartboard as you can and you've got a longer time period to do so i think that's when you look at that and i think the ducks are slowly kind of starting to get out of that because you know hopefully the development path for zegris and drysdale means you know they finish the season in the nhl this year they take some big steps forward next year um, as second year players and and really start looking like key players in in the nhl lineup and if they are the quality of the players we think they are that development path and and that progress will be a lot quicker than the likes of Sam Steele and Maxim Comtois and Troy Terry, where the development path has been a bit slower to to really producing at the NHL level. You know, you would expect Zegers and Drysdale to to take some some bigger leaps uh, forward than than those guys would. So then you have to start supplementing those guys. I think you've got. You know, the draft picks you've just made, that can add to that. Eventually, you've got Gru in, in San Diego. You've got Perot, who you just drafted. You've got Colangelo. You've got Henry Thrun down in the minors as well. You've got Ian Moore and Jackson Lacombe, who are playing good. You've got all these guys who are now 19, 20, 21 that are going to start moving their way into the Ducks lineup. And, you know, going out and getting three more second-round picks, as good as that is for the rebuild, 
like I said, you're not seeing these guys for four or five years. And you're risking them maybe not being NHL ready. And if you can say instead of those second round picks or whatever, you can go out and get, you know, a 20 year old, a 21 year old prospect who is further along in that development path that can jump in your roster next year or two years from now, instead of three, four or five years from now, that's what the ducks should be looking for right now is that young prospect in return, especially for your top assets. So again, if you're looking to move Ricard Raquel, the main piece of that deal shouldn't really even be a first round pick. It should be a high, you know, a level prospect who, you know, is going to jump into your lineup eventually as a top four defenseman or a top six forward. That's what, they should be looking for right now and it seems like it is because the price is pretty high in Ricard Raquel it's gonna be hard to get because everyone's gonna want to keep that because that's a person they don't have to protect whereas Raquel when they get him they have to protect him yeah and and you know he'll be interesting to see how that um you know accelerates heading into the deadline right teams get desperate and we that's see this it. all the time the price goes high keyword keyword desperation <laughs> yeah but it'll be interesting to see how that plays in this year because we know in, in regular years the trade deadline people will overpay in the last day just to get that guy to get somebody in you know i remember the bob one that murray's always... not bob murray's not that guy though that's the only thing i'm worried about it's just like he's like eh i mean we were really close and they were giving us a lot but i i just I just wanted another ninth round pick they didn't give it to us so i said no <laughs> i wanted to, I, to replace the condition <laughs> seventh i gave yes. up and... <laughs> <laughs> they, they I just wanted worried. them to retain like a thousand dollars on that contract. And they said no, so I was like, "Nah, we're good." Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> we'll we'll have to see how desperate teams get because you know there are names that will likely get moved. I think at some point Taylor Hall gets moved, uh, and there'll be a few other forwards that are kind of. I think Philip Forsberg's on the market. Whether he gets moved or not, we'll have to wait and see. But eventually, Ricard right. Raquel's name will be at the top of that list as kind of the best option. Uh, and Hall, Hall's, Hall's the best option. But if Hall goes, that's what I'm saying. So if he uh, gets yeah. traded, then slowly guys come off the block, and it's like, okay. Right, well, who, who, who else? Sorry, Hall's gone. Who, who the hell is yeah. we have? Uh, Raquel? <laughs> so then if you're a team that's you know in competition a couple weeks from now, I think teams right now are starting to identify – whether they're going to be big time buyers at the deadline. You know, we're getting into that period here where you have to make that decision. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Hall's that big domino. He's the first one. The second that happens, whatever division it happens in, other teams are going to react to that and then try like other ones that are in that same area. It's like, oh, God, they got Hall. We, we got to get somebody because they just added Hall. And and I, I think maybe that price goes up. So yeah, think if you're you know uh, the Islanders and somebody in your division adds Taylor Hall, yeah, and you've lost Anders Lee for the Lee. entire year, yeah. All of a sudden you're saying, okay, you know what, uh, Ricard Raquel is looking pretty nice, pretty and we get him for next year too. You know yeah. that's and and I think that plays into it is you know Taylor Hall is a better player 
maybe, yeah. you know, points haven't been there this year, but he's on a team that just lost their 15th game in a row, right? You know, some of that comes in, in, into play there. Um, so close to uh, uh, setting a record, right? I think it's 18. Pittsburgh yeah. did it back in like the early 2000s. Pittsburgh's they're, they're knock- or, uh, yeah, Buffalo's knocking. <laughs> and and no Jack Eichel mean, means they'll probably hit it. Uh, they're, they're just that bad. But I think yeah. like the thing that, that comes into play here when you're comparing the value of Ricard Raquel and Taylor Hall is for Taylor Hall right now, whatever team you're trading him to, if you're the Sabres, you've got to eat half that contract. You've got to eat 50% of that and bring that down from $8 million to $4 million to make that viable for any team as a rental, right? Or at least, you know, 30 or or 40% of that contract. Um, you know, people are going to take a shot on Taylor Hall just because of his track record and, and what he's done in the past and, and you know, chalk that up to the Sabres are awful, so so he's bad. But I think the one thing Ricard Raquel has on a lot of the top forwards available in this draft is a pretty decent history of production when the Ducks were good. And that term and the value that he has is, like, we've seen a lot of teams make that shift over the last couple of years to maybe moving away from the rental and getting these guys that have that one extra year, because now you're instead of one playoff run, you're getting them for two. And, and I think a lot of teams like that security, you know, in, in the thinking that so many things can go wrong in one playoff year. And if you're the lightning, that's like the perfect example because they got swept by the Columbus blue jackets. They went out and got some rentals that year. They lost those rentals for nothing. And it meant nothing because they got swept in just a fluke accident, they got swept by the Blue Jackets. They just did not show up for that series. And what do they do? They come back next year. They make some really good moves, some long-term moves, and they win the Stanley Cup, right? And I think that a lot of teams are looking at that and saying, okay, you know what? Bringing in a rental versus bringing in a guy with another year, well, you know, if maybe that guy with another year isn't as high profile as that rental, but we know anything can happen in a playoff series. And if we, if something happens this year and we don't go all the way, we know this guy's going to be here next year, and we can take that step forward and, and kind of make the changes for next year. And and we're still just as good of a team, and we gave up maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. to secure this guy, but we have him for next year too. I would say in a normal year is yes, but not in a expansion draft year because, once again, it's like, hey, we get this guy, and it's a hockey move because we got the guy for after this year. But you literally have to go like, all right, this year's done. Well, the, you know, if you win the cup, then great. But if you're, you're that team that didn't win it, now you're like, okay, who are we going to keep? Is it going to be this guy? I mean, he's on a good contract. Then who else are we willing to give up? So you either got to be – you just got to, I guess, calculate it. You got to go like, listen, if we don't win, this guy's on a good contract for the next year. Who's the guy who we're not going to protect? Who's the guy we're going to take out to put this guy's protection um, and so, yeah, once again, that, that becomes uh, a little bit of, uh, the team, you know, which teams are going to figure that that's worth it to them. And if Raquel is going to be a good enough guy to let somebody else go who might be of equal or just slightly undervalue of Raquel. So it's weird. It's a weird season, <laughs> weird off yeah. season coming up. <laughs> it's a hard one to bridge. To predict if any of these trades are going to happen, because I, I, you know, I think as much as the Ducks should trade Ricardo Raquel, I think there's a high possibility they hold on to him and maybe trade him at the draft. After a lot of teams have gone through the expansion draft, they know kind of where they stand, and then they get Ricardo Raquel uh, as a little bit of a longer term rental. You know, he's still a rental because he's UFA at the end of the 2021-22 season, 
but you get him for the entire year plus playoffs where, you know, yes, you didn't get him for this playoff run, but the value isn't that much lower, right? You know, you, you, you missed out on a, you know, 20 games plus a playoff run. He's still, on a, very, he's still on a very nice contract. So even if you get him that year, it's not really going to break the bank. Yeah. You're getting a guy with a high potential and a low cost. So I think that's what people have to, to remember too, is like the value, if you're not going to come down from what Bob Murray wants right now, because some teams just aren't willing to pay that because of the, the looming expansion draft and a ton of other reasons this year, being just, just a, such a, you know, a difficult season to maneuver you might get more or the same deal you want at the draft, despite it being a pure rental deal at that point, just because teams have gotten past, you know, the, the weird season, the cap's going to go up a little bit next year. And, you know, you've gotten past the expansion draft and dealt with that. And you don't have to worry about protecting Ricard Raquel. And then now you get him for a full season. So, you know, at the end of the day, if he doesn't get traded at the deadline, you know, people are going to go nuts. You know, I'll, I'll probably have my own criticisms to <laughs> why, why that deal didn't get done and it should have got done. But if ultimately, if that culminates with Bob Murray trading Ricard Raquel at the draft, I don't think that's the worst thing, especially if you end up getting what you wanted and that's a top prospect and potentially another first round pick. Because uh, I still think you can get that at the draft just because of the great contract he's on and the fact that you get him for a full season plus another playoff run. I, I still think there would be teams who'd be willing to pay that and, and maybe more teams would be interested uh, come draft time just because we've gotten past that expansion draft. Well, I guess you're the minority because uh, most fans I hear online uh, do not subscribe to Time Will Tell. It is uh, what <laughs> what happened today, what happened yesterday, and I'm upset about both things. So I don't care what might happen later. I need to know now. <laughs> I think I think more than anything, people just want to see something change, right? In such a bad year and you know dallas Aikens has his had his warts this year i think he's kind of you know worn thin with a lot of people in terms of their trust with him and and what uh you know their their outlook is on him going forward and obviously bob murray has, <laughs> has soured with with a lot of people for good reason yeah. on some of the decisions he's made this year but we know both of them are going to make it through the rest of this year i don't, I don't think I don't think even if the Ducks go on a 15-game losing streak like the Sabres, we're going to see anybody really get fired at, at this point. We're too far into the season. Uh, so everything hinges right now for a lot of people on a big trade, and that kind of being the big thing that happens this year. Because in such, in, in such a down year, you're just waiting for those big moments that kind of signal change or, <laughs> or, or you know, you, just you can, do you something. Can. Yeah, you, and you could tell that when Zegras came in or when Drysdale came in. It's like yeah. everyone just perked up. Like, we have something to be happy about. This is amazing. So, they're just something to discuss, right? Some, yeah. So, big. other than another loss, another one nothing loss, or you know, one goal loss, I should say. Uh, yeah. So, I uh, would say to everybody, it's just, you know, you're going to get through this season. You're going to get through the season with the same GM, the same head coach, pretty much the same players. Maybe there's a trade here or there, and you might get a little happy about the future. But really, just wait for the offseason, because in my opinion, the offseason is GM's gone. The coach that was attached to that GM is gone, and we're looking at a complete shift in in management. Um from from that perspective. So 
I, I wouldn't hold too much hope out for the rest of this season. Maybe we get a good trade in there, but I mean, ultimately it's not going to make any difference this year. It's all about next year. Yeah. It, it really that's sad, is. right? Sorry. Sorry to be so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, that's the thing is, is if we get past the trade deadline and, and no, no big deals happen, it's going to be a shitstorm on social media. Because people are waiting for for something to happen right now. And, you know, something does need to happen. And I think we're at a point where, you know, like I said, it's not going to be a coaching change. It's not going to be a GM fire. Those are like the off-season moves that happen, whether they do or don't at this point. But, you know, we, we're all kind of hinging now on the trade. Like the only thing you can do in terms of big, you know, organizational moves outside of a coaching change or firing a GM is a big trade. And when you hear from everybody around the league that the Ducks are active and they're sellers and, you know, everybody's name is on the list. Ricardo Raquel, Henrique, Silverberg, Lindholm could be on there. Like the fourth period just put out their trade list article. And I think six or seven Ducks players are on that list uh, in terms of, you know, discussions. Yes, Loft's on there. but Yeah, in terms of discussions being made around the league, like all these guys kind of being available, maybe not shopped, but at least team is being told that you know these guys are available if you're willing to pay the right price it just drums up the the hype right and, and then you, you like you said like we're ducks fans are desperate for something you know look at how everybody is jumping on this volkov moran trade if this happens if you're you know the leafs or, or maybe not the leafs are a good example just because how volatile that market is but <laughs> if you, you know if you're one of the top teams in the league right now, so if you're, you know, I'm sure Lightning fans are jumping on this trade like, oh my God, you know, something happened. This is a big trade for them. It's just basically an AHL trade. Their okay. team is is one of the best in the league. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect them at all. And we're sitting here talking about how Alexander Volkov can maybe jump into the lineup and make a difference, right? Like, like that's the thing to to them. You know, they've had three or four guys come up this year that could easily just jump right into Volkov's space and they won't even notice he's gone. And I think that's kind of the situation we're at right now as as Ducks fans is that any move is something to kind of talk about and, and speculate. You know, could this could this make the team better? Could this change things? What does this mean? What does this signal? Is it, Does this mean, you know, the trade dominoes are going to fall and Raquel's out the door tomorrow? Like It's, it's kind of sad if you think about it. We're, we're that desperate to try and find some bigger meaning in minuscule trades that aren't really going to affect this team in any way, but we just can't accept the fact that the team is bad. We can't really find a way to fix it. All we can do is maybe make minor tweaks, hopefully a major tweak for next year. Cause I think like if everyone's dying for that great trade, that big trade, they're going to do it. And if, and if Bob Murray doesn't do like a, a blowout win trade, all he's going to do is just get blasted for it. Not being good enough, big enough. And, and, and that's what happens when a team is losing is everyone starts focusing on, all right, well, we've got these assets. We should be getting this. Or they overvalue what they think they have. And then, you know, GM makes a move and then everyone just criticizes the hell out of it. And then they get even more depressed about their team and the management. And eventually there's no win situation in my mind for Bob Murray, unless he literally trades Raquel for a first round, another first round and their top prospect. And maybe that scenario, <laughs> then maybe, and even then, there'll still be somebody's like, oh, we could have gotten more, man. 
We need new goaltending. Our goalies suck. I mean, they'll, they'll just be that guy. They'll be that person. Yeah, or whatever. There, there's so. always that person that <laughs> nothing, nothing will appease them. Um, yeah. So I, I feel like it's a no win situation. Do the best you can. If you can't get it right now at the trade deadline, don't go over broke because the, you know, fans are desperate for it. It's like make the right move at the right time for what it's worth. So yeah. I, I feel like it's, it's probably not going to happen at the deadline just because I feel too many teams are too cautious about what's about what's looming in the darkness. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but there's not too many high profile moves that you really feel like could get the type of return that would really get ducks fans excited. I feel like there's only really two players that could potentially get moved and really one of them uh, is only the realistic one. But I think Ricard Raquel and Hampus Lindholm are really the only two players I could look at that say could get the type of return that could get you excited. And that's only if the ducks get the, the presumably high price they're asking for a card Raquel, which has been speculated, speculated around the league as a top prospect and a first round pick. I think if you're able to get that and, and that ends up coming to fruition before the, the trade deadline, that's a win for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on the prospect, but if it's a top prospect from a system and a first round pick, that's what you want. That's what you should be getting for a card Raquel right now. Uh, and if you get it, great. You know, Hampus Lindholm, especially injured, that that likely doesn't happen uh, before the trade deadline comes up. It just doesn't seem feasible. But, you know, if you got a big return for that, that's a big deal. But outside of those two, you know, John Gibson isn't getting moved in season. That's just not happening. That's a, a deal that I can say with 100% certainty would not happen uh, before the trade deadline, if that what? was ever going to happen, that would be uh, <laughs> that would be an off-season trade. You obviously don't understand Ducks fans who have no understanding <laughs> about goaltending. <laughs> you know what? Like even you know ability and merit aside, like just the deal itself makes no sense to make during the season. Especially again, he's injured right now as well. Um, he's injured, and then Ryan Miller's gone. I mean, who do you got next season? Stolarz and yeah. Lucas Dostal. And with the the expansion draft coming up, I, I think you literally need John Gibson on the roster to qualify to have enough goaltenders. You have to protect uh, one. Yeah, uh, available for exposure. You need him. So that's a off season trade, if anything. Um, so then that takes John Gibson off the table there, and you know Ryan Getzlaff isn't getting moved unless he asks for a trade, and that wouldn't be a high profile return. It would just be a high profile na- uh, trade because of his name. So really, it comes down to Ricard Raquel and Hampus Lindholm, and more so Ricard Raquel. And you know, even if Josh Manson got moved, which I still think could be a possibility, the type of return you're going to get, I think, for right, Josh Manson, right. who has been injured twice this year and hasn't played that great, is not going to be as high as Ducks fans would like. And I would assume any return on him that is below an astronomical value that I think a lot of Ducks fans hold him to would just, it would cause a nightmare. What, on, what on would you think? Media. Do we think it... Third or fourth rounder? I think you would, you know, the return for for Josh Manson right now is because his term's actually pretty decent and the cap hit is, is not bad. I think if, you know, the return for him right now is probably a second round pick and a, a B, B level prospect, um, yeah. which, which is probably what you get for him right now. And I could tell you, I don't know many Ducks fans that would be happy with that return. Uh, despite it being literally probably more than he's worth right now, just because of the injuries and the fact that he hasn't looked that great this year or even last year. Yeah. Um, so it, it does it does kind of all hinge uh, on Ricard Raquel. Not to put too much pressure on him, but our happiness hinges on Ricard Raquel getting traded or not this year. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 
So uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. we got plenty of time before the deadline. But uh, the last thing I want to get to before we close out the show here is I believe we brought this up on a previous show, or maybe we just talked about it uh, in our group chat. But the draft lottery changes that are now coming right. into effect. Um, I believe it was a month ago or so now that they were just proposed changes and there were speculation, and now they've they've been confirmed. So there's two or sorry, three key changes uh, that are happening to the draft lottery. So teams who would be limited to no more than two lottery wins in a five-year period. So that eliminates the whole Edmonton Oilers Ten, thing. Where they, New Jersey. Yeah, the Rangers, yeah. I guess. Won well, the, the Rangers won one. So if they win another one, then they're they're done for the next three years. Well, they technically, like they technically won when they jumped from like 13 to two to get Capo Caco. Uh, they won a portion uh, of the lottery to get up that high. The Devils uh, also. Uh, okay. And the, the lotto is just the top five teams? Yeah, because I, I think like you had top five originally, picks, I should say. originally you had three chances to win the lottery because there was draws for third overall, second overall, and first overall. So teams uh, who are near the bottom can jump up and win the lottery, but the oh, the highest they could jump up is third. Or in the the Rangers' case, the highest they could have jumped up was second to get Capo Caco. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of not just covers first overall, but lottery wins in general. So now if you win, you know, two years in a row, good luck. You can't win the next three years. You got to wait four years before you can win another lottery, which, you know what, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, it's a deterrent, I guess, to tanking. You know, if the the Sabers are prime candidates for first overall this year, um, they can't get it three years in a row, basically. And and they won it for Rasmus Dahlin a couple of years ago as well. So I think if they won it this year, and then won it to get Rasmus Dahlin, uh, they're now out of the running for for any foreseeable. Uh, okay, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand that. I thought it was just somebody who wasn't in the top five couldn't win. To get into the top five, yeah, maybe yeah, yeah, we'll have to look in and see potentially because yeah. it's just literally in writing says teams would be limited to no more than two lottery wins. I don't know if that's contingent on where you finish because technically, if you finish dead last and you get you end up getting first overall, I mean, you, you, is yeah, that you a don't automatically win? get kicked out the uh, out of the top five just because yeah, hey, we, we were bad three years in a row, so you gotta you know. Get outside the top five. I I guess it depends on what they constitute as a lottery win. Like, is it a win if you're the last place team? Yeah, if you're the first round pick. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to see for that. But uh, I do, in general, I like it because it does kind of limit the the Oilers situation that everybody. And you know what? It eliminates the the rigging. (laughs) It eliminates the rigging conversation a little bit, right? Just just slightly eliminates that where. uh, People can't say the NHL are rigging the lottery. Yeah. Uh, the second one is teams are only allowed to jump 10 spots with a lottery win. So they How kind of... convenient. Re- yeah, I think they reduced it from 13. Oh, they did I... 16. No, they did 16. It was... Uh, there was... what? Uh, let's see. We had the, the draft, at least this last year, they had the draft and the one random team that won the, the uh, overall pick was the Rangers... And it was like the top or the top of what was it? Uh, eight teams that failed out of the first round of the playoffs. Right. Got to get into that one out of eight lotto and the God, Rangers what a won. That was. Yeah. Dude, so I'm just 
Fair uh, enough. <laughs> likely we'll never see that again because that was largely due to uh, the COVID playoffs that we... Uh, bullshit. Yeah. So hopefully we'll <laughs> never see that again. But um, I do like that it, it kind of reduces the jump a bit. So we're not seeing a team who finished, you know, just in a playoff the lottery, basically just outside a playoff spot, and they jump from 16th to first like that. Or even like 16th to second or anything like that. The fact that you can only jump up 10 spots means like the furthest you could go is... You'd have to be in the bottom third of the NHL. Yeah, it basically means that if you just missed the playoffs and you finish in that 14, 15, 16, that you can't jump into the top five, which I think is fair. I think that's fair. You know, if you jump from 16th to six, I mean, that's still still kind of like, wow, but you're not into the top five, which I think is the important part there. You're not getting a franchise defining player potentially uh for a team that just barely missed out on the players like the like the rangers who got alexis lafreniere because of that so yeah i i i think it helps just because it prevents tanking because you you don't have any guarantee but the teams that really kind of need that help just because they're bad can't be punished really hard or be overtaken by a team that is on the upswing and now all of a sudden they get the yeah. number one overall pick and now they're even more on the upswing and that team that was supposed to get maybe the number one pick is just even more down the road. Yeah. And yeah, it basically kind of covers them saying like, you know, a team that is like you said on the upswing, just missing the playoffs, isn't going to leapfrog you and jump, you know, into the second overall pick and bump you down three spots uh in the process which is nuts uh and, and then the last part here and, and probably maybe my favorite of the three is the number of picks decided by the lottery is reduced from three to two so instead of three draws for third second and first overall it's just a draw for second and first overall first uh okay uh which means that the two worst teams in the league can't pick any worse than third and fourth respectively so originally first first could fall all the way to fourth and it was actually better odds that first would fall to fourth than they would draft first overall because the Mm -hmm. odds of all the teams below them combined winning lotteries and jumping up to first second and third would mean that first could easily drop to fourth now the furthest first could fall is third which i think is a bit more fair if you get dead last in the league the worst you can do is still a top three pick I like that a bit better than saying, you know, if you're first, you have better odds to fall to four than you do to have to, to draft first. Overall. Now, do they have better odds to drop to third then? They they still kind of do. <laughs> okay, all right. But at least the furthest you can fall is third. It's third. not it's not as One bad. Okay. Yeah. And then in the same sense there, if you're finished second last in the league, the worst you can fall to is is four. Um, so you could the the worst you can fall is only two spots versus three before, so it's not again a huge difference, but I think it's a bit more fair to those really really bad teams that you can't all of a sudden be the worst team in the league and you're projected first overall pick and you all of a sudden instead of drafting first you're now drafting fourth, uh, which is in in a, in some of the years where there's really only two or three franchise defining players, you went from having that guy to a guy who you know doesn't really make a difference uh, on your roster as early as you expected or in the way you expected. So I'm fine with that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and some of these changes are this year and some of these changes are next year. So this year we'll see the, the two lottery draws. So the number, the number one and number two draws will be this year. There'll be no 
lottery draft for third overall. So that change is coming into effect this year. Mm-hmm. However, um, for this year, there'll still be 16 teams in, in the lottery. And then beginning in 2022, there'll only be 11 teams in the lottery to right. make that, uh, to kind of go coincide with that rule that you can only jump 10 spots. Yeah. So there'll only be 11 teams in the lottery, which again is another good part of that rule because it eliminates that 16th, 15th, 14th seeded team to all of a sudden, all of a sudden be just... in the lottery and jump all the way up. So <laughs> yeah. you really now have to be a, a struggling team because I think you could comfortably say usually the 11th worst team in the league is probably about 10 or 12 points out of a playoff spot. Like they're firmly out of a playoff spot. It, it's really just those, you know, yeah. 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th seeded teams that are just maybe missing. went on a losing streak right at the end of the season and they're on the outside yeah. looking in, you know, and missed out by like three or four or five yeah. points. Um, had a tough end to the season, another team got hot, whatever, and then all of a sudden you're rewarded with a, a second or yeah. third overall so pick. So, you know, all in all, I like the changes, I think they're all fair, I think there's merit in behind all of them of why they've been put in place to yeah. kind of limit you know because the nhl has seen a lot of that and it's been kind of controversy around the draft lottery lately of teams that are outside the 10 worst teams in the league that have jumped up into spots like the flyers jumped up and got nolan patrick second overall uh, and the devils jumped up in that same draft and got nico hisher and uh, it might have been the same year. The the Dallas Stars jumped up and got Miro Heiskanen, right? And it sent whoever was first overall at that time down to fourth. And it's, it, it's been, you know, last year with the Rangers jumping up and when the Rangers jumped up to get Kako. And it, it seemed like every year there was a team way down in the standings that jumped up into a top three pick. And it's just getting, you know, ridiculous at that point that, you know, these teams that are, are on the upswing and have kind of gotten further on in their rebuild – all of a sudden be like, oh, you're adding this guy. You, you know, you get a first yeah. overall pick. Yeah, it's an evolving thing. I mean, they, they went to the draft lottery with, you know, this in mind, and then they start seeing things year after year, kind of changing how that goes. And so they kind of go, all right, well, you know, we got to tweak this. Let's, let's tweak it a little bit, tweak it a little bit. Let's get it down, dialed in. And I feel that that's what they're doing. They're, just, they're tweaking it. They're dialing it in a little bit. They're making it better than what it was. Um, you know, it's not something you just say, well, it didn't work. Just trash it and let's go back to the old ways. Like, all right, this, this kind of worked, but it could have been better. Let's tweak it this way and make it better. So it's evolving. And, uh, you know, as, as more and more of these lotteries happen, you kind of maybe see things that you didn't expect to see happen and you tweak it a little bit more, but I think they're doing a good job. And I think this is a good change or tweak to, uh, the system. If anything, these changes coming in at a perfect time for the Ducks because right now, uh, I think statistically they're actually the second worst team in the league behind the Sabres because we're uh, number one. Yeah, we're because one. we've played 34 games, have 24 <laughs> points. The Red Wings have that played win 30. percentage. You yeah, that win percentage. The Red Wings have played 33 and have 24 points, which points percentage wise they're higher than us right now. Uh, Buffalo is just dead way dead last uh i mean they could actually get pretty close to us if they were to rattle off three straight wins but this is a team who has six overall wins on the season let's not kid ourselves the sabers are not rattling off three straight wins uh and even ottawa has gone on a bit of a winning streak right now they have a game the ducks have a game in hand on them but even if the ducks win that game they're still one point 
behind the Senators. So the Ducks are the second worst team in the league. And if the draft lottery was to be cited, decided today, the Ducks would be one of those benefactors in the sense that they could only far as, fall as far as fourth being the <laughs> second worst team in the league instead of being, you know, potentially falling down to five. Yeah. Um, so, hey, if we do finish at the bottom two this year, this is the year to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, at this point, that's the one thing we can look forward to is being good at. It used to be not having any sort of COVID protocol. We were pretty good there until just recently. So uh, this is our last thing left. Eh. Yeah, if and we, ap- if we suck really bad, we might actually get a good draft pick this year. Apparition brings up a good point I didn't even bring up this year being one of the benefits of being the two worst teams in the league is no matter what this year, Seattle gets the third overall pick. Yeah. That's just, they get that for being an expansion draft team. So if you finish the third worst team, you actually get the fourth overall pick because of where Seattle is, right? So right now you almost hope that the Ducks are worse than than the Red Wings and, and the Senators at the end of the season. Let's not kid ourselves. Nobody is catching the Sabres. The Sabres will be the worst team. <laughs> so way. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're just in another stratosphere in terms of how bad they are. Uh, no, but it will that be... seventh level of hell and just everyone else is playing at maybe the third. Because they're not up there. They're not in the stratosphere. They're, they're way down here. They're in the summer. Oh, yeah, true. They're, <laughs> they're on the opposite end there. Seventh layer um, hell. Yeah, so it will be a battle, I guess, all year between Detroit, Ottawa, and Anaheim in terms of where uh, where each of them will finish <laughs> in in uh, in the standings. So I never thought I would say this, but we're rooting for the Ducks to finish second last just to get a better odds at a, at a top pick this year. But, it, you know, the, it, it's again, we're saying it's the best year to do it, but it's also the worst year to do it because in terms of bona fide first overall prospects this year there's like six or seven guys who could go first overall so the difference potentially in in your scouting chart of drafting second first or fourth could be meaningless if the guy you had you end up getting at fourth was the guy you had first on your board anyway right there's no there's no mcdavid there's no matthews there's no shane wright in this year's draft where it's a guy that you need to get no alexis lafreniere you know no bonafide first overall i think if you went and asked 10 different scouts right now you could potentially get you know seven or eight different names of who they have at first overall that's just the way the draft works this year so we'll see i mean you know we we gotta gotta wrap up the show here anyway because we're, we're pushing a bit late but you know you know it's getting down uh down part of the season here when we're talking about the draft and, <laughs> and what the Ducks we're not even at trade deadline and we're talking about the draft <laughs> You gotta you gotta look for the light at the end of the tunnel. So that's uh, that's what we're doing at this there. point. Uh, but we'll be back, uh, I believe, on Friday after the Ducks play the St. Louis Blues. Should be uh, an interesting another game. Another win, yeah. Yeah, another <laughs> another notch in the belt uh, against one of the best teams in the NHL. Uh, the Blues have been struggling lately, but they just got Vladimir Tarasenko back, which will not be fun uh, for Anaheim to face him. I think the big thing, though is Lucas Dostal. Maybe he gets his first NHL start. We'll have to see. Backed up backed up tonight for Ryan Miller. And uh, Mills is going to need a break here at some point. Uh, and Stolarz is on the COVID protocol list, so there really is only one option to go to. And maybe that's... Uh, Me. Never All thought. Right, I'll yeah. shoot up. Right. Yeah. Right, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Miller gets hurt at this point. It's... Uh, Lucas Dostal is going to get the start. And you're the emergency... The E-Buck. You're the emergency yeah. backup goalie. <laughs> Uh, for that game, and if Dostal has a tough start, you might be getting in, uh, getting in some action. Getting so. Some reps in. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, no, I honestly, I, I, I want to see a docile debut and I don't because yeah. I feel like it's unfair to throw a guy into an NHL debut after he's lost seven games in a row in the AHL and say, here you go. Uh, you know, you, we know we, yeah, and it's not the way you would want it either. It's not rewarded for good play. It's because guys are injured and guys are on the COVID protocol list and you've got a 40 year old netminder who is tired and you need another guy to step in. It's not the best of situations to, to hand an NHL debut to a 21 year old netminder. But, uh, We'll see. There's the the chances that it could be another debut, which would still get people excited, right? We were excited about Zegers' debut, excited about Drysdale's debut. As as tough of a situation it would be for Dostal, it would be it'd still be fun to to see him get that debut, and hopefully it wouldn't be a complete disaster. Oh uh, yeah, I agree. Um, we'll we'll see. <laughs> I, I I don't think they're gonna throw him in yet. I think they'll just uh, they'll ride Ryan Miller because this is last season, so. All right. Well, we'll find out on Friday. Uh, we'll be back with the show. Stay tuned to, to Twitter in terms of uh, who will be on that show. It will likely be Stefan because he missed this show. Uh, oh, Stefan. He'll be back. Trust me. Don't worry. He'll be back. Everybody. <laughs> He's a fan favorite to somebody. Yeah, to, to somebody out there. He's a fan favorite. <laughs> uh, but we'll be live after that game. I appreciate everybody who came out for the post-post-game show today. Uh, and we'll catch you guys on Friday night. Take care, guys. Bye, guys.